Hello, welcome back to the third episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. I am Joe Donoghue, and once again, I'm joined by Justin Sosa and Stephen Ganavis. Uh, gentlemen, how are we doing? Everything's coming up, Millhouse. The ashes, ashes have been returned to the motherland. It's a great day. <laughs> Everything's going swell. Everything's going swell. Yeah, that's good. All good at my end as well. Um, international break this week and, and last week when this podcast goes out. Uh, I mean... A lot, a lot of people give it a bad rep, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite a big fan um, of the international break. It kind of throws up quite a few interesting fixtures and players that maybe aren't getting minutes at, at domestic level, you know, turn out for their national teams. Yeah, I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. What, what are your opinions on the international break? No international break. There's no World Cups. No under twenty World Cup. No under seventeen World Cup. Uh, and even then, even in qualifying, there's just some really awesome underrated games maybe not with european uh, european quality players but there's some games like uh malaysia against indonesia already played last week that intense derbies with amazing atmospheres and 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 some entertaining games so yeah even the 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 nations league last season was an awesome addition as well it brought some uh some fire to some games that normally would have been would have been friendlies and and produced some good games so i think there's uh you know, it does break up the season nicely. It'd be better if they were spread more evenly across the season rather than kind of bunched up at the start. But can't have too many complaints. I mean, I think I think it's kind of cool too that um, we watch so many young players kind of come through the ranks of smaller countries, uh, and then just someday they pop up with the senior national team and uh, they kind of just make their mark that way. So I think that that's probably one of the more exciting parts of international break too. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Because you get you get players who who will say that you know the pinnacle of their career was was turning out for the for their national team, and you can understand that. I mean, like for example, Mason Mount made his debut um, against Bulgaria for England, and you can see that you know the the pride that him and his family have, and you know his close friends like Declan Rice and all the Chelsea fans. It is it, it's a, it's a big moment, even though it was in essence in a fixture which was pretty much a foregone conclusion anyway. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think it's a nice nice time of the season and I don't regard it as one of those things that people should scorn. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big uh, big adv- advocate of the, the, the break. But yeah, definitely should be spread out um, more, more evenly rather than September, October, November, March. It's a bit like... Um... Like Nickelback, it's like become the cool thing to hate international breaks and hate Nickelback, but actually they're an amazing band. So, well, okay. Well, I might. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I might edit that bit out because you know we're only having the right opinions on this podcast. Uh, but no, no, I, I get what you mean. It's it, it is it's sort of the cool in thing to hate or whatever. But no, nah, we are we are fully backing the international break at Scout Football. Anyway, with with that said. We're obviously going to do uh, an international break podcast, uh, and there has been, there have been quite a few games already played, uh, which have thrown up quite a few interesting results, interesting players, uh, some making their debuts, and of course, uh, it is the the time of year that there is a, there are new cycles of uh, of players at different youth uh, youth levels, and um, so the under twenty ones will have a new crop of players coming through uh, because ones that had played at the previous tournaments are now too old. And don't qualify for those for those um, for those age groups. Yeah, there's there's plenty of games to to have been taking our, our fancy over the past week or so, uh, and in the week to come. 
Justin, I'm going to start with you. From from a US perspective, what happened against Mexico? Um, in terms of the game against Mexico, I just the players that we have at the moment still aren't good enough or at a level good enough to play in Burhalter system. Um, with his kind of right back becoming a center mid and the defense playing as a back three and the midfield kind of having to adjust with that extra defender coming into the middle, the technical ability and just the general level of play isn't there yet for that um, system. Players like Dest and Pulisic and McKenney are all capable of kind of reaching that level. Um, but as it showed against Mexico or any capable team that knows how to play soccer well and press you, it's not going to work out very well. Um, and unfortunately for Dest on his debut, uh, he was just completely taken out by Jesus Corona for the opening goal. And then from there, it was just Mexico controlled midfield and uh, Alfredo Morales and Will Trapp really couldn't do anything to prevent that. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't catch any of the game, but I'm I, just scrolling through Twitter after it. You did see quite a few, I mean, I'd say reactionary takes from from a lot of US MNT uh, Twitter. What is your what is your opinion, overall opinion on, on Greg Berhalter? Do you see him being able to get the best out of these players and it's just going to take a little bit of time for them all to click because they're all clearly talented? Or do you think that he's just not the right man for, for this group of players? I think he has his mind in the right place that he wants this team and expects this team to play an attractive style. I just, like I said, like I just don't think that the players are at a level high enough to put out good enough performances in his system. You're never going to get confirmation on this, but there's just a feeling of bias towards him kind of starting Zardis with him having coached Zardis at the Columbus crew before he took up the national team position. And it just, it felt like Josh Sargent really should have been the one starting this game up top, whether he would have made a difference or not. Obviously we won't be able to tell anymore because, you know, games passed, but I, I just feel like, he is a good enough coach at this level um, and he has the right ideas. It's just that the personnel at this time, I don't think really guarantees him good enough performances. Yeah. We've come across Josh Sargent uh, quite a bit when he, well, in his time at, at Werder Bremen uh, and last, I think it was the last weekend before the international break, he scored a brilliant goal um, where he takes a ball down, uh, which has been floated over the top. He takes a touch. I think he then chests it, chips it over the goalkeeper, and then finishes quite quite coolly. Uh, he is he is someone that I would imagine would be would be definitely in the setup ahead of someone like Zardes. But as you say, you know there might be a little bit of favoritism there. Uh, again, something you, you wouldn't be able to confirm. Uh, Steve, you've you've come across Sergeant uh, before at um, the youth tournaments with the with the US, haven't you? Yeah, so he played at both the under-20 and uh, under-17 World Cups in uh, 2017. Actually managed to score uh, more goals at the under-20 World Cup. And yeah, he's quite a, quite a, obviously his best uh, trade is his finishing, but he's really good at uh, at breaking the line and kind of getting through on goal and, 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 and finishing coolly. Haven't seen much of him since then, so I, I can't vouch for how he's got on uh, since he's been at Werder Bremen. I know it took him a little while to, to break into the team and he's kind of just starting to, to build a platform for himself now after being there for about two years, but, uh, but I can't vouch for too much else. 
Yeah, Josh, Josh Sargent, uh, when he was 18, he's 19 now, uh, he scored two minutes into his debut uh, back in 2018 with his first Bundesliga touch. I think it was, was it seven goals across across those two youth international tournaments uh, that you were mentioning there, Steve? So it shows that, yeah, he can he can cut it at a good level. He's doing it in the Bundesliga, albeit hasn't been doing so as consistently as perhaps, you know, other players. But he's good enough and you know for a t- for a team like the US yeah should should have a should have an opportunity anyway speaking of players uh, who have or haven't been given an opportunity James Madison is still awaiting his England debut uh, as of today which is Monday which is the day we're recording sods law would state that he'll get his debut against Kosovo tomorrow but as of today, he is yet to make his England debut and is one of the 10 under-23 players in Gareth Southgate's squad. Um, involved with the under-21s this summer in quite a fateful, mm, underwhelming under-21 Euro performance from England. Um, but James Madison, anyone who watches the Premier League knows how talented he is. Steve, have, have, you got, have you got anything to add really in that sense? Well, I'm just a bit surprised actually, uh, as much as I... Um... Love Mason Mount. I actually I'm surprised that Madison hasn't got the the opportunity ahead of Mount just just based on the fact that he's just done it for longer in the Premier League last season. He was absolutely magic the season before at Norwich. He was fantastic in the Championship before he got his big move, and he's uh started the season on the right foot again. Chance creation mach- machine, uh, assist machine gets into the right areas, could maybe start scoring a few more goals, but uh, he's got all the tricks and, um, yeah, probably probably just a bit unlucky, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a chance depending on uh, depending on the uh, situation, maybe off the bench. But, yeah, he'll be, he'll be in soon. I think the fact that Southgate has uh, called up 10 under-23 players into this squad for the games against Bulgaria and Kosovo, it is because he intends to use them. Of course, he doesn't want to blood them all at the same time. That just doesn't make any sense. But to get them in maybe, you know, 30, 45 minutes here and there across the two games, definitely give them a taste. Madison is one of those players. You know, He's not as young as uh, as Mason Mount, Mason Mount being 20, Madison being 22. Um, but as you said, yeah, he's, he's, he's done the business in the past two seasons for Norwich, for Leicester. Um, and last season in the Premier League uh, was the only player to create 100 chances. Interestingly, 48 of which were from set pieces, which just just shows how much of a, you know, like a dead ball specialist he is. Yeah, and with England, he's also got Harry Maguire to aim at, just like he did at Leicester. So shouldn't be any trouble there uh, making some sort of impact if uh, if England can get into some into some dead ball opportunities. Yeah, anyway, that's that kind of covers the England senior team. Uh, there, are, I mean, there are a wealth of players that we could cover there, but we've covered them in handbooks on Twitter. We've covered them extensively. One person that I'd love to to speak about more is 17-year-old Mason Greenwood, who received his first call-up to the England under-21 uh, setup um, for these two games against Turkey and Kosovo. The youngest Champions League debutant in Manchester United's history, uh, the second youngest Premier League debutant for Manchester United, and the third youngest to feature in a Champions League knockout tie in the 21st century. So, you know, you do not get these opportunities unless you're good enough. I think there's a lot to like about Mason Greenwood. I think there's a lot more to come from him. But from what we've seen so far, it's encouraging. 
Yeah, I mean, I saw him a lot uh, this summer with Manchester United at the International Champions Cup. And it was almost like watching Marcus Rashford when he first came on for United. Kind of just like this fearless young kid who wanted to make his impression and wanted to make his mark right from the jump. And I think that's something you always love to see in a young player um, is that confidence and that willingness to just do whatever they feel they need to, to kind of grab the game by the scruff of the neck. And he's, he's just fun to watch too. Like not only just being a forward and kind of putting away goals, but uh, he moves really well between the lines and uh, he can move uh, from the center of attack to the, to out wide on the wings to kind of connect with his teammates. So I'm, I'm, I'm high on this kid too. I think, I think he's got a lot coming for him. Yeah. Like you say, Justin, he's quite versatile in in that sense, uh, which can sometimes be detrimental for a young player because the, their versatility can be their downfall because they don't nail down a certain place in a team. But uh, for example, I mean, he is the tallest of the three centre-forwards that were called up to uh, Eddie Boothroyd's under-21 squad uh, this time around, uh, as opposed to Eddie Nketiah and Ryan Brewster. But the fact that he has that versatility means that he's not going to be typecast into a, into a role where... England just try and hang balls up to his chest from, you know, a ball playing centre-half like Jonathan Panzo, for example. Um, but yeah, he, he made his debut, played 30 minutes in that 3-2 win over Turkey 21s, which uh, Eddie Nketiah scored twice in and uh, Reese Nelson also scored in. I don't know if either of you guys caught that game, but there was um, Jonathan Panzo made his debut, in, uh, under-21 debut in that game as well. And Steve, I know you're, you're, a, you're an advocate of Panzo, he, he may be a player that a lot of people haven't heard of. Um, so, I mean, you know, shed some light on that for us. Yeah, so I first kind of uh, started watching Panzo at the Under-17 World Cup alongside a lot of this uh, this crop when England won. And, yeah, he's had a bit of a tough time since leaving Chelsea and, um, and heading to Monaco, really struggled to get in and around the first team last season. Um, had then had a bit of a weird pre-season where looked like he was kind of going to be a part of the first team set up and then right at the last minute was shipped out on loan to to Cercle Brugge which is Monaco's kind of feeder club in in Belgium where they send a lot of their players out on loan but yeah really really tidy player can play a bit of center back bit of right back uh good good on the ball and, and a really really tidy distributor a bit, a bit uh, can lose his head a little bit defensively and uh, and allow players to kind of creep in behind him. But but he's yeah definitely definitely one to keep keep an eye on this season because he really needs to tear it up in in Belgium and uh, kind of get back on track. Hopefully next season with Monaco. I mean he's young enough. He's he's eighteen years old uh, and to to be getting his first under twenty one call up now. There are, there's plenty of time and plenty of games that he's going to play. Yes, the Circle Bruges uh, move, it's a bit of a weird one, but also at the same time, it isn't because it, it's Monaco's satellite club, as you say. Based on the viewing in, in his on his under-21 debut, uh, I think he's, yes, he has the potential and the physical profile to be a very, very good centre-half, but he does just, there were, there were instances where he lacked a little bit of concentration. So the uh, he looked to be a slight, ever so slightly out of position for Turkey's first goal. That could have been to do with uh, Trevor Chaloba uh, tucking in and being sort of utilised as as a third centre-back at times. Um, that seemed to cause uh, positional problems more than anything. But I think 
in terms of going forward, he was fantastic. I don't know if you if you saw, but the uh, the the assist that he got for the for the winning goal and for Reese Nelson, brilliant, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so I saw a highlight of the goal, and yeah, just kind of nips in, and then just decides he's going to go on the charge, and really shows the confidence to to skip forward through midfield and and pick the right pass, made the right decision to to someone in Reese Nelson who had uh, acres of space ahead of him to kind of build up ahead of steam and 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 dribble through and 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 apply a nice finish to to win the game. So really, really, really nice to watch. I think uh, a lot of centre backs are trying to add that to to their game. We've seen. Harry Maguire do it a fair bit uh, for England, kind of stepping out and and trying to dribble through and being that first level of of penetration through the opposition midfield. So if he can, yeah, add that to his game, that's a it's a nice weapon to have. Yeah, it is so disruptive to to have that for for a centre back to to break that first that first line. Uh, essentially, it's such a useful tool to have in any team, uh, and and to have it in in his locker already at, at eighteen. I think, especially in Belgium as well, I think he might he, he might utilize that quite a lot more, especially playing for a club like Circle Bruges, who are you know they're not one of the more dominant Belgian sides. So he is going to have that opportunity to maybe break out into sort of into the midfield at times. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned those two goals by Eddie and Ketia as well, and he's been on a on a little tear to start the season with Leeds and uh, and and is killing it with the under twenty ones. Again, scored these nice two very well-taken goals after getting himself into a position that he seems to just constantly find himself in, which is right outside the six-yard box with mostly an empty net to, to tuck away into. And um, he's turning into a bit of a scoring machine. Uh, it's a scary front line they've got at the under-21s with uh, with him and Brewster and Greenwood and uh, and with so many f- uh, creators in behind with Reese Nelson and... Uh, and Phil Foden, uh, this under twenty ones group is is gonna gonna be a really really strong one once again. If uh, if Buffroy can can put a system together that is somewhat functional, yeah, a lot's been made about Buffroy uh, and whether he's the best man for the job. I mean, I'm sure we'll discuss that on another podcast. For the in terms of the crop of players that he has with England under twenty one, they are great. They, they, I mean, they are one of the most talented. Uh, at that age level, uh, and one of the most stacked in terms of depth, um, you mentioned there that you know Brewster, Greenwood, and Ketia—they are three very good, you know, centre forwards, and they've all—they've all got individual uh, little facets to their to their individual games. Um, so as you say, Eddie and Ketia's you know penalty box movement is fantastic. He does score tons of goals in that manner, um, and the first five—he scored five, I think, so far this season in six games for England and, and for Leeds. And I think three of those have been very, very similar. You know, coming a, a ball coming across into the box. He's just outside the six-yard box, uh, between the six-yard and, and the penalty spot. And he just tucks them away. And he always checks his run. He always makes sure that he lets the defender run towards the ball or anywhere where there's going to be that little inch of space where he's not going to be too pressured into making a poor finish. And yeah, he scores a lot of a lot of goals like that and I suppose it comes back to the the old adage of right place right time really and I should also add quite scarily is that Sancho and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, are like would be within the age group to play with this team so 
Uh, they probably won't throughout the entire range of qualifying and probably won't play in the tournament itself. But yeah, it just shows the the number of options and and uh, that England have coming through and, and just how good uh, this generation appears to be going forward. Okay, so moving uh, across to France, uh, we have a 20-year-old centre-back who has been playing at a good level for, for quite a while now in the Bundesliga. Uh, he's just about coming up to 50 Bundesliga appearances for RB Leipzig. Uh, it's Ibrahima Konate, and he is one of the players that was profiled in Volume 3 uh, by the fantastic Lee Scott. Um, again, another brilliant profile. He is another centre-back, just like Jonathan Panzo, and he has shown that he's quite adept at you know stepping out of defence and being that disruptive presence, breaking that first that first pressing line. Uh, Steve, you've seen you've seen a little bit of of, of Ibrahim Konate um, picking up um, appearances for RB Leipzig here and there. But I mean, was there anything that struck you really about, about him as a player, or or something that was in in Lee's profile of of Konate that stuck out to you? Yeah, so Lee pretty much sums him sums him up perfectly in in, in his profile uh talks a lot about uh his physicality both both on the ground and in aerial duels he uh was the only under 21 player in the Bundesliga to contest at least 50 uh, 50 aerial duels and win uh at least 70% of them last season uh but he's also really tidy once he gets onto the ball 69.1% of his passing attempts into the final third were successful as Lee writes in his profile. And so that's that's obviously aided a bit by how dominant uh, Leipzig are and the positions that he that he takes up the ball in. But that also speaks in, in and of itself of, of his willingness to kind of push up and 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 get himself into into areas, even as a centre back where he can make that that scything pass into the into the final third to to try and open up the game and and, and create opportunities for his team. Um, so yeah, really tidy player. Uh, Justin, you've you've seen a little bit of uh, RB Leipzig uh, over the past year or so, uh, having watched Tyler Adams for for your profile on on Adams. Um, was there anything about uh, Konate that that kind of stuck out to you, or anything again in in the profile which which really caught your eye? Yeah, I mean, I think Konate, in terms of like his partnership with Adams in the defensive third and kind of moving up the field, uh, is just like a really nice blend uh, because Adams is obviously isn't the most uh, physically dominant player in the sense that he's not big. So I think they complement one another well in a sense that Adams can kind of run around midfield as he does. Um, and then even if somehow a player gets by him, Konate is just kind of there to clean up whatever mess he needs to, um, whether it be through brute force or just uh, how well he's able to tackle uh, players off of possession and then he does really well to kind of recycle possession as well once he picks it up he gets it finds Adams or finds uh, one of Leipzig center mids and that's kind of how they're able to keep their high pressing game going is that uh, they rely on two good ball playing center backs and um, obviously on Adams ability to kind of run across midfield and maintain pressure on whichever side they're kind of moving the ball up on. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that might go a little bit uh, under the radar with him is is his on-the-ball ability. Because you look at Ibrahima Konate and you see this really dominant, um, tall, you know, powerful centre-back. But 
he I think that might be a little bit underappreciated because he he is a good dribbler. He can step out of defence, as you mentioned, Steve. And I think he's a great fit for for Julian Nagelsmann this season, uh, who who's obviously came in as uh, Leipzig's manager, who undoubtedly will want to instill sort of a progressive, more stylistic approach um, at the club. Nagelsmann is, uh, I think he's going to use uh, a back three, or he has done in I think two or three of Leipzig's uh, first few games in the Bundesliga. He is looking to partner Konate with Nordi Mukiele. Um, who can also be used as a right-back, but also as a right-sided centre-back. Um, I think that's quite a good partnership as well, because not only are they both good on the ball, but they are, both, they both are dominant in off-the-ball situations. So in, in shutting down an opponent who might be running through on goal, they're both relatively quick over the ground. And I think Leipzig definitely need to be... Um, need to be on the radar of the likes of, of, of Bayern and, and Borussia Dortmund this season because I don't think it'll be a two-horse race. I think it's much more open this year, potentially because of you know Bayern not being the, the dominant power that they were and Dortmund suffering injuries and maybe not knowing their best team. But yeah, I think the Bundesliga has quite a nice, um, quite a nice spread to it this season. When Erling Haaland gets to, to Leipzig, it's game over for the Bundesliga. <laughs> yeah, it is quite literally... And, Game over. Uh, we've we've joked on the account quite a bit this week that our, that scouted football is now an Erling Haaland fan account. You know what? I would be perfectly okay with that being the case because he is just so good. It is, and he got his first call up. Yeah, he got his first call up. He got his first two caps. Uh, he came off the be- uh, He started against Malta uh, and then came off the bench against uh, Sweden. Um, didn't read really do that much, uh, which you know you could put down to nerves or playing in a new team or playing at a much higher level, but. Yeah, it's promising. Nineteen-year-old making his senior debut, six foot three, logs for legs. I mean, there's so much to like about Erling Haaland, uh, and not just because you know he likes to go mental at his goal celebrations either. <laughs> just back on the France thing as well. Kanate uh, has been playing alongside uh, Bubakar Kamara as well at uh, youth national team level, and and he's uh, a- another fantastic young player. Really. Uh, dominated at the at the under twenty World Cup this season, and and he's doing some fantastic stuff for for Marseille. Beautifully, beautifully uh, well rounded defender again, excellent and 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 fully confident playing out of defence, uh, ruthless in the tackle, and and physically quite dominant. So uh, France, the centre back conveyor belt is just about never ending, but uh, there's another three to kind of keep keep your eye on and uh, keep on the radar. It's funny that you mentioned Bubakar Kamara because uh, he also got an assist for France's under-21s this past week for another uh, French centre-back uh, who also plays in the Bundesliga, uh, Dan Axel Zagadou. Uh, he, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's six foot five. He, you might have to correct me. Yeah, he's a monster. But he is, he is huge. Just, he, him and Harland, him and Harland are the like the two the largest humans I think I've ever seen. <laughs> they are, yeah, they are. Absolutely huge, and it'll not surprise anyone to find that uh, that goal by Zagadou against Albania under twenty ones was a header. But yeah, he he, he is another one who's physically dominant. Uh, but yeah, Bubakar Kamara is a player that, that I quite like as well. Um, just going back to your French point there, Steve. Um, good ball player. He's a good tackler as well, which I don't think he gets as much credit for. Um, and he's another one who is in volume three of the Scout Football Handbook 2019, profiled by Peter Manelli, who, again, brilliant profile, lots of in-depth stuff in there, real good insight. But yeah, that, as you were saying, that, that French centre-back conveyor belt is just 
churning, churning, churning players out, which is just incredible. There were, there were quite a few interesting games over that first round of international fixtures. One that, that I caught that was quite breathless at times was Germany 2, Netherlands 4, which in the return leg was, was 3-2 to Germany. So quite an interesting interesting parallel there. But uh, Steve, you, you said you, you'd seen some of the goals and of course, you know, two players that you really like um, got their first international goals. Yeah, do you want to tell us more about that? Yeah, so Daniel Mellon chips in with his first... Uh first international goal and he's been uh really really good for PSV and he's kind of one that's going to uh really step up in the absence of uh Herving Lozano this season uh and then Frankie De Jong chipped in with his first international goal as well a nice little finish kind of chipped it over the tackler and then uh tidy finish into the into the net but you watch the game is there any uh, anything else that stood out uh any one player, a key role that kind of changed the game amongst the young younger players that were playing. I mean, it's it's not going to surprise anyone to say that I think Frankie De Jong was was instrumental in in the Netherlands winning the game. Um, there was there was quite a good moving pass map graphic by between the posts that came out after the game, and one thing that was apparent when you were watching the game, but also was so much more clear in in their graphic was the central position that that Frankie took up almost all the time, and despite the fact that the game ebbed and flowed in favour of Germany at times and then and then in Netherlands' favour, Frankie was always on the ball. He was always in a very central position and he was, al- he was always willing to receive. And I think, yes, it's one of the basics of football, but it's one of the things that makes him such a beautiful player is that he does the basics so, so well. I mean, you just look at some of his statistics, two out of three dribbles completed, 11 ball recoveries, 93% passing accuracy, seven out of eight long balls. I mean, it, it's the it's the pinnacle of performances at the highest level you know, against the best opposition. It's it's really, really great to see. And I, 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 I run out of superlatives for, for Frankie. And I'm sure you also caught Romania against Spain uh, this week, Joe, considering your your recent love affair with the uh, the Romanians after the under twenty one Euros, yeah, that was uh, that was a game that I caught. Um, not just because of the the Romanians that that, that kind of stole my heart at the under twenty one Euros with their buccaneering style of play, but also because I wanted to watch Spain and uh, the the dynamic duo of Fabian Ruiz and uh, Dani Ceballos starting together um, in a senior national uh, national side game, um, and I mean they did not disappoint. They performing in tandem, you know, after their summer success at the under twenty one Euros, when either of them could quite easily have won the player of the tournament, it was just, you know, it's, it's a joy to watch. You know, Ceballos being the chief creator, Fabian, you know, having that those great like great legs in midfield in in that midfield trio just ahead of Busquets, um, and Ceballos actually played ever so slightly off the left of a front three, which was quite quite interesting. But you know, he held up well. Uh, still created a lot, won the penalty, which gave Spain the lead. Uh, yeah, they were just they are they are top top players, and I think when you think about Spanish maestros in the middle of the pitch, they are two who are playmaking Spanish midfielders, and yeah, I think they've got many many years to come in that senior team. And so metronomic, I think Fabian, ever since he's. Uh... Arrived in Serie A, especially with Napoli, he's just been absolutely fabulous. Um, controls games, uh, is a threat in front of goal, 
and, and it's just just metronomic, just ticks away, ticks away. You kind of don't notice him at times, but then if he wasn't there, you can you can bet that you, he he would leave a gaping hole in, uh, in in your team. But but just controls everything so nicely, and 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 Sabayas is probably that little bit more explosive, um, and 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 kind of dr- likes to drive towards the box and, and likes to link things up in attack as well. Um, but yeah, two damaging players and and uh, a, a bit of a worry for some of the the other national teams in in Europe. Uh, knowing that they're going to have to come up against those two for the next decade. Yeah, they are. I mean, Ceballos, the, the the fact that he wins so many tackles, but also wins so many fouls, he is that midfield presence, which is just so voracious and so insatiable. You can't get away from him because he seems to pop up everywhere, whether he's receiving and distributing the ball or whether he's playing a quick one-two down the left-hand side to try and make inroads into the box. They are, they are brilliant players and... Um, they are two who I'm very, very excited about. Uh, of course, seeing a lot more with, with Danny Ceballos being someone who's definitely going to be a regular for Arsenal um, based on his first few performances. And and Fabian Ruiz um, being just, as you say, that metronomic presence for, for Napoli. Um, just looking at uh, their, their stats from that Romania game, uh, and between them, they created nine chances. Fabian completed seven out of seven attempted long balls, four out of five of his dribbles, while Ceballos won three fouls and completed both of his dribbles. So, you know, there's so much there's there's so much to their game. They're not they're not one trick ponies. They're not one dimensional. There's, there's so much to them, and you know that's a credit to to, to Real Betis and and you know the academies that that they came through um, because they've they've turned into such well rounded footballers. But at the same time, Romania gave Spain a bit of a game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, George Puskas, who was just a steamroller at the under-21 Euros and, and even in the semi-final bullied um, Tino Baumgartel and Jonathan Tarr. He was doing exactly the same to, to the Spain centre-backs. And he actually got the assist for their goal. Um, you know, a brutish, bullish header uh, down across the face of goal to then be tapped in. He's just a, he, he's an absolute brute. I mean, you, you've seen a bit of Puskas, uh, Steve, with having seen sort of tidbits in, in Serie A. I mean, what what do you make of him? No, so I never really saw him in, in Serie A because he played for, for Benevento and they were really, really bad. So I kind of didn't waste my time. But um, yeah, after you kind of raved about him at the under-21 Euros, Kind of looked at a few of his goals recently. I saw saw the one that he um he scored for Reading the other day in the championship. He kind of picked it up around halfway and just went on an absolute maraud uh, down the right flank and just just so big, bit of bit of a bit of a unit and just no one could get near him. No one could get the ball off him. He just took the ball into the box and and had his way with the goal. So um yeah, scary looking player and I think. Uh, Championship level, I think, is is proving to be a nice little breeding ground for for youngish players, and I think um, a lot of the teams at that level are looking at it as the best kind of way to viably invest in their future. Um, so I think we're going to continue to see a fair bit more of it. Yeah, I mean, Puskas was quite a quite a considerable outlay for Reading. Um, I think the total cost is going to be around eight million, um, not paid upfront but in sort of installments i think around two million at a time i don't know what the increments are but i think that's the i think that's the deal but 
from early signs of him at Reading have been exactly what I saw at the under-21 Euros, exactly what you saw in sort of little clips that I'd seen of him at Palermo last season. He is just, he's such a, a wide-set, powerful player. And you do get the impression that he is just a real piece of work. But he he lives up to that. You know, he, you're not going to get too much from him in the way of creativity. You're not going to get too much of him taking on players in tight spaces. But what you what you will get from George Puskas is just a brutish striker who will win aerial duels, uh, will compete against whoever's there. He, he's, in a, in a sense, like the Diego Costa type player where he is going to rile up defences by pure power. Plays of will. on the edge. Yeah, plays on the edge. Yeah, he is that sort of player. Uh, against Spain, he, he's the one who got Diego Diego Llorente sent off. Um and then, you know, he tested Kepa at Balaga. And he is he's that sort of powerful in your face striker that no one likes to play against, no matter how poor technically they are. I mean he's not poor technically, but no one likes to play against that guy who's just big, powerful, puts himself about and really gives you a hard afternoon. That just about finishes things for us today. Um, I'd just like to thank uh, Steve and Justin for joining me on this one again. Yeah, international break. We love it at Scout Football. There's plenty to talk about. Try and catch one of those under-21 games, under-20 games, something like that. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. You might just stumble across the next Kylian Mbappe. You never know. Um, we'll be back in the next week or so with another podcast. Um, not sure what that will be on yet, but we will let you know in due course. Uh, we might be taking questions uh, on the Twitter account, so keep an eye uh, over that too if you want to get your question in. But yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, if you've listened to a previous podcast, Thank you for joining us again. If this is your first time listening to the Scouted Football Podcast, welcome, and I hope you enjoyed it. That's enough from us. Uh, We will see you very soon. Bye.